2: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're
6: listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our three hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program, we're going to talk about a real interesting book that's coming out uh, tomorrow that was inspired by uh, uh, actually the largest mass execution in U.S. history. And you'll get to know what that means as we talk to uh, my guest this hour who is a licensed independent clinical social worker and the author of a debut novel, as I mentioned, comes out tomorrow, Dovetails in Tall Grass by Samantha Specks, And Samantha joins me by phone. Hi, Samantha. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me.
6: Um, this, um, this is your debut novel. And it's inspired by the true story of the 38 Dakota Sioux men hanged in Minnesota in 1862. And as I mentioned earlier, that was the largest mass, mass execution in U.S. history. Um, what made you want to write a novel and how did you tap this story?
4: Uh, good questions. I, so the story for me started out quite a long time ago when I was actually in high school, and I'm from Minnesota, and my grandparents live in southern Minnesota, kind of actually where, like, Laura Ingalls Wilder would have lived on the banks of Plum Creek, not too far from there, so on that prairie. And it was in December. and Don't um, tell me you we lived in a
6: little house. <laughs>
4: That was true, but not (laughs) quite the one that she lived in. Not in a sod house, that's for sure. Um, So I was driving to my grandparents' house for Christmas Eve, and I happened to cross paths with a group of Native men riding on horseback through the cold on a dark December night on the prairie. And I didn't know what they were riding for at the time, but I I learned that it was in um, memory of the U.S.-Dakota War of 1862 and in memory of those 38 men that were hanged and to promote reconciliation. And ever since I crossed paths with them, I started to educate myself about the U.S.-Dakota War. And over time and years of interest and research, and I, I researched during my graduate school program and social work um, as well on this topic. And um, just many years later, here we are, and it's turned into a novel.
6: What does that... Um that event in history um have to do with uh little bighorn
4: that one i mean so uh, the u.s dakota war of 1862 would have kind of been the start of the the plains indian wars or the plains wars um of the late 1800s that resulted eventually um in most of the Native Americans being moved to reservations in the United States. And and the Battle at the Little Bighorn, or Custer's Last Stand, was the last major victory in the 1870s uh, for Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse. Um, and so I would say the U.S.-Dakota War was kind of the start of that, and then um, the Battle at the Little Bighorn was, was kind of a bookend on the other end.
6: And you know, when you look at it that way, it it becomes a war that the U.S. lost. Mm
4: -hmm. Or at Mm -hmm. least it
6: seems like that when you put it on that timeline. Um, But let me ask this, do you you think of this uh, book as a historical novel?
4: Yeah, yes, it's for sure a historical novel. It's it's definitely inspired by the actual events of the U.S.-Dakota War in Minnesota, um, but the main characters are both fictional. It's, it's told from the perspectives, dual perspective going back and forth from a Dakota Sioux woman on one side of the war and then a settler young woman on another side of the war. And they are tied in the fate of one man, the 39th man. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the journey of the two protagonists, but they're, they're very much fictional.
6: Now, this is being called your debut novel. It comes out tomorrow, but um is is this the first writing that you've done? Mm-hmm. Did you just all of a sudden up and decide in your little house on the prairie that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you were going to write the great american novel
4: something like that yes i've I've only done so actually, I previously worked in radio um. I worked for the Minnesota Twins on their play-by-play team, and I wrote pieces and was a production assistant and kind of wrote for radio um, and wrote some of our features, and then when I went back to graduate school, I did more academic writing, Um, so this is definitely my first foray into fiction of any kind, Um, but it's gone better than expected and been an absolute blast. I encourage anyone that has wanted to write, go write, because you just got to give yourself the freedom to do it, and, and it's pretty fun and amazing.
6: How did it how did it unfold for you? How long did it take to write this and how much research went into it?
4: Sure, so I would say there are like decades of research as far as just my personal interest and then about a year's worth of academic research during my graduate school program and then when I decided to truly write, I spent 6 months um researching almost every day, reading different books, watching documentaries, searching on message boards, on old message boards or chat rooms and scrolling down in the comments, just reading whatever I could get my hands on that people were talking about this topic just to see any perspective that I could. Um, and that was about six months of true research time. And then the writing, I would say took about a year total from first draft to get through the manuscript. And I, I can write quite a few pages at a time, I, my deadlines were every other week. About forty pages were getting sent in, and then I'd rework them. So, um, about a year's worth of writing.
6: Did you have a commitment to publish the book before the 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 whole book was done?
4: I worked with an editor, so I hired an editor. Um, oh,
6: okay, which, I see what was going Yeah.
4: On. And the publishing industry, writers used to get signed and then work with an editor, and then the publishing house would put out their book. But now, kind of with the changes in the traditional publishing industry, um, you're kind of supposed to present the finished manuscript to the publishing house. So you don't have that developmental piece and working with an editor on the front end like they used to.
6: Now, what's it like for a first-time author to work with an editor? How do you even, uh, you know, select an editor to, to work on something that's as personal as a, a first-time book?
4: Yeah, um, well, because of that change in the publishing industry, there are more developmental editors out there um, who work with writers, and I just interviewed a few, and I found one woman who was especially mindful of the Native perspective in my book because I'm writing from a different cultural perspective for one of my characters than my own background, and she was really supportive and knowledgeable on that piece. Um, so she was a great fit and just very encouraging Um, and so yeah she was the right fit
6: now this was inspired by those events but the story is your own
4: yeah yes so I how I worked my timeline and creating the story was I I really did all that research and I made my main points of what I knew I needed to capture from the actual history and that's all outlined in the book, and then I worked my protagonist through each side of that story and kind of wove them in and wove them back and forth. Um, so what, who they are is fictional, but what they're going through is real, if that makes sense.
6: Yeah, it does. I usually ask writers, you know, which, which came first, the story or the characters? Do, do you have a story and then cast characters into it, or... Do you come up with characters and then figure out what might have happened to them with this history that you're including as a backdrop?
4: Yeah, I think for me, as I was doing the research, it came to me just, I started to understand this history through the lens of two young women. And I just thought, man, what would a Native American woman have been going through? And what would a settler woman have been going through? And so I started to just research in that place, and that's where the story started to blossom. Um, And then once I sat down to write, I knew I needed to get each of the women close to some of the big events that would happen. So I was like, who does she need to be in relation to the historical events? So one of my fictional characters is the daughter of Chief Little Crow, who is a real person and was a leader of the Dakota Sioux during this war. And then my settler character, Emma, she is the daughter of the the country lawyer, the part-time lawyer of the town of New Ulm, um, who sits in the the war trials that happen um, after the war occurs and then ultimately results in sentencing um, the Dakota Sioux men to death. So, Emma, I knew how to be close to that that trial so I made her the daughter of a, a country lawyer.
6: And what can you tell me about Dakota Sioux, that phrase?
4: Yeah, so the Dakota Sioux are the native people um, that are indigenous to the state of Minnesota and also part of the Lakota nation that kind of spreads all the way to the west. Um, they're the great warriors of the plains. Um and that who Crazy Horse would have been a leader within that community and um, Sitting Bull. So that's the Dakota Sioux. Um, and they were in Minnesota and until basically this war, which resulted in, in those deaths. And then ultimately it resulted in the Dakota Expulsion Act, which is still on federal law books today, making it illegal to be a native person in the state of Minnesota as of 2021 it still still exists obviously it's not in force, but it's a pretty symbolic thing that happened as a result of this war that that still stands today
6: when you were writing this book um did you work from an outline or once you got started did the story kind of tell itself
4: Yep, I worked from an outline, and I I used the actual history, and I knew I needed that to be so specific and so tight as far as how I was writing back and forth between the lenses of two characters. So I outlined in a pretty detailed way um, the scenes to make sure that it made chronological and logical sense. And then once I started writing, I would just kind of know the bullet points. Okay, this battle needs to happen from this character's perspective in this scene. So then I would free write from there. Um, So it's kind of a balance, but But it had to be pretty chronological um, and worked out in advance for sure.
6: You know, was it, are you pretty disciplined about writing? I mean, can you sit down and just say, I'm going to write so many words today or so many pages? Um, I I heard an interview with Stephen King once and, and they asked him if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule. And he said, Oh, no, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> are, are you are you that kind of disciplined? Can you sit down at a blank screen and just go?
4: Yeah, yes, I, I can. I, I say it is that balance of I know when my deadline is, and it is funny how the muse shows up the closer the deadline gets for me. <laughs> so that, that's, that's helpful. Um, and I think especially... That's the fortune of writing historical fiction is the history is so inspiring in and of itself um, that there's just so much there and so much kindling on the fire. It's it's lucky as a writer to get to light that and see what happens.
6: Well, I have to take a break here. Um, Can you, Samantha, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more?
4: For sure. I'd love to.
6: All right, my guest is Samantha Spex. She is the author of Duff Tales in Tall Grass, a novel. It is her debut novel, and we're going to talk more with her. But first, we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring and if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll have uh, more with samantha specs about uh, dovetails in tall grass which comes out tomorrow when we come back and um i i hope you'll stick around for that also uh Be sure and join us uh, Labor Day. We have a very special show coming up on Labor Day. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later, but we'll take a short break. Hello,
1: darling.
3: This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
7: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
2: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
6: And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a debut novel called Dovetails in Tall Grass, a novel that's inspired by the true story of the 38 Dakota Sioux men hanged in Minnesota in 1862, the largest mass execution in U.S. history. And um, her name is Samantha Spex, and she joins me by phone. Samantha, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
4: No, thank you. Um,
6: we were talking a little bit about the uh, about the writing uh, process. Um now, the book comes out tomorrow, and have you had a chance to get any uh, any feedback um, on the book so far? I know you have uh, advanced uh, reader copies that have been circulated a little bit, but have you gotten feedback from other writers, but more importantly from... Um, Native Americans?
4: Yeah, I've gotten some feedback from um, Native American readers, and um, one woman read my book from the Dakota community. She's a writer, Diane Wilson, and she gave quite a bit of feedback, and um, I implemented that in one of the manuscripts as far as some of the changes she suggested, um, but overall I've gotten very positive feedback and encouraging feedback, and um, yeah, it just means a lot because it's definitely a sensitive history. Um, but I wrote this story with the the hope of reconciliation and a more positive, you know, future and connection, and showing that this this history matters matters to me, and I think matters to a lot of people. And so, um, yeah, with that spirit in mind, I've gotten overwhelmingly positive feedback. That's meant that's meant a lot, especially as a debut writer.
6: Has this event the um execution of the 38 uh, Dakota Sioux men um in 1862 in Minnesota has has that event been written about a great deal i this is the first that i'm hearing of it but i'm not that well read on the topic
4: you know there's a few books or fictional books um but over wh- overall it, it seems to be lost in history um which is why the more research I did and the more, um, you know, facts and connections I saw to this topic. So on the, the Dakota Sioux side of the war, like we've talked about, there were the 38 men hanged um, unjustly after unjust military war trials. Um, and then on the settler side of the war, it was the largest civilian mass casualty event in U.S. history until the events of September 11th. So it's just both of these huge, important t- pieces of, of U.S. history and significant events that had taken place. It connects to the founding of the Mayo Clinic. It connects to um, the Emancipation Proclamation and what what made Abraham Lincoln have a rationale to write that. So there's just a lot of important things tied into it, but it, it seems kind of lost in the history books, and I think that's partly because it happened during um, the Civil War time period, and so obviously a lot of more attention has gone to that and kind of what happened on the Western Front during that time um, it's just kind of like a blip in the history book, and it'll say something like, and at the same time, the Plains Wars were happening. Um, and it's just like a sentence or two, but there isn't a lot of attention and time spent on it. And I also think that's true of a lot of the Native American history um, in the United States history books. It's just, it's just missing. and doesn't quite have as much um, written about it as other topics like the Civil War has.
6: Now, I I kind of jumped ahead a little bit when I brought up The Little Bighorn during the last segment because that's actually where you've set your next book.
4: Yes, correct. So this book is set at the U.S. Dakota War and the next book, The Dovetails of a River book, which I am working on now, is set at the Battle of the Little Bighorn.
6: So many questions come to mind about that. First of all, Uh, Have you gotten bit by the history novel bug, or is it just that this particular thread in history has really gotten a hold of you?
4: I think both. Um, I just, I'm a reader myself, and I like historical fiction a lot. I also love book club-type stories. I think a lot of book clubs read about World War II. You know, there's so many easy book club reads in that genre or around that topic and I just I was like oh there's so much more out there and I just wanted there to be compelling stories and especially from the perspectives of women um, during these times and so I don't know I guess that bug bit me and book one happened and it just you'll see kind of where the story tumbles to and why it makes a lot of sense to to have them go to the battle of the little bighorn next.
6: And and it it seems like uh, you know of course the one event in your book coming out tomorrow dovetails in tall grass, um, precedes the little bighorn by several years. Um, what kind? Just out of curiosity, what kind of fallout was there uh, following that event?
4: Yeah. So following the. <laughs> The U.S.-Dakota War of 1862, um, it, ultimately the settler people won. Um, the U.S. Army came in. Abraham Lincoln sent more troops to the state of Minnesota um, during the Civil War, which is partly why he needed to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, is because they were so low on troop numbers because of having to send men to the Western Front that he needed to enlist more people and part of that was going to be enlisting um african-american men and so the rationale what's that former slaves former slaves yes so that and Abraham Lincoln should be admired for what he did. That was a very important part of history, but also some of the rationale when you look at why he needed to do that, it all kind of connects for his own reasons. Um, so that's where the Emancipation Proclamation ties in. <laughs> and so, a
6: little more <laughs> self-serving than we typically think of when we think about yes. old honest Abe.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And so... So um, then from the U.S.-Dakota War, then those men were hanged, and then the Dakota people were sent to almost like these concentration camps in the state of Minnesota, and then they were ultimately, in 1863, all Native people were exiled from Minnesota, and they were sent down the Mississippi River to St. Louis, and ultimately sent by, by ferry boats up into the state of South Dakota, and that's where the reservations were created and where many Dakota Sioux people live to this day.
6: And isn't there, isn't there something um, different about the name Sioux?
4: Yeah. So Sioux. So why, um, the Daco- you can call them Dakota people or Sioux people or Dakota Sioux. And Sioux. That that word originated from the Chippewa people, who were the enemies of the Dakota, and it means little snakes in Chippewa language or Ojibwe language. Um, And so when you're saying Sioux, it's actually how, like, an enemy would have referred to the Dakota Sioux people. So um, that's where saying Dakota Sioux is, I think, a little more accurate, or Dakota, the Dakota Nation would be the proper way of of, of referring to those people.
6: Where were the Sioux initially before that name got adopted in uh, Minnesota?
4: Yeah, so they would have stretched, so they're the plains warriors so they were hunters and um not as much like woodland gatherer type people like the chippewa would have been in northern minnesota so the the plains kind of start around uh the minneapolis st paul area and obviously stretched west through the states so like kansas nebraska the dakotas um out even into montana that whole region and area would have been the dakota nation
6: okay um now, with this, uh, in this particular story, you have two characters, and 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 really two different lenses. They they see the events very differently because one is Native American, one is a settler. Um, do their do their paths cross?
4: Yeah, you'll have to read to find out exactly what happens, but they're definitely tied and tied by one man um, as far as what, what kind of hooks them both together.
6: Okay. But they, but I, is, is there interaction between the two of them? I don't want to give away they any am- spoiler alerts. I'm just curious about the, uh, um, uh, oh, what would you call it? Uh, interracial relationships.
4: Yeah, they both directly impact each other's lives, but uh, you're not going to see them in scenes like talking to each other or anything like that, okay. that's for sure. But as the story weaves back and forth, you'll see directly how they're impacting each other.
6: Do we, do we get to see a lot of interaction between settlers and, and Dakota Sioux, or is, is it sort of two mm-hmm. stories that intersect?
4: It's kind of a combination of both, um, for sure. There's definitely parts where you'll, you'll see the two cultures interact and intersect. And actually, before this war, and the settler people only were able to survive on the plains initially because of the support of the Dakota Sioux people. And there's actually a lot of positive trade and connection and collaboration that went on. And then obviously over time, um, a massive divide occurred um, but you'll see interactions and even I mean, yeah, you'll you'll see in the book they do overlap and definitely connect
6: Now, you said you grew up in Minnesota, which is how you got interested in in this bit of uh, American and Minnesota history. Um, but you ended up in Texas I did yes, and you spend. Some time in colorado um how did you end up in in texas
4: well my husband works in energy Ah. so houston texas became the, the bullseye and that's where we landed
6: okay and and how did you two meet
4: we met at a golf club in minnesota actually um when i was in graduate school and he was working in the area and yeah so that's how we connected
6: and and so now you're there and uh you have um you have a baby pippa am i saying that
4: yes yeah we had her during the pandemic yep
6: oh wow and um and your fur baby charlie which i'm guessing is a cat
4: it's a golden retriever oh Um,
6: i i don't know whenever i see the phrase fur baby i always think of cats i don't know why (laughs) but charlie is kind of a dog name.
4: Yes,
6: yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, the um you mentioned the pandemic and and giving birth during the pandemic and I suspect that that's uh, an adventure all in itself. Um but but I also wanted to ask about the process of getting this book out during a pandemic. It's tough enough to be a first-time writer let alone during a global pandemic. Um, was it uh, more challenging, or has the book been in the works longer than that?
4: Yeah, I think there were some elements of the publishing process that were more challenging or was a bit more uncertain um, due to the pandemic and even just supply issues and ordering books and ordering my advanced reader copies, just a lot of delays in shipment or uncertain timing that my publisher couldn't say when we we're getting shipments in or out or what the timeline would be for certain processes. And and I'm having a few virtual events um, with bookstores, but I, we had been hopeful that maybe we could do them in person. But I think with the Delta variant, I think it's all pretty much going back to virtual at this point. So, that's a little interesting and and different but overall surprisingly um book sales this summer have been up 20 percent, which is just they can't really figure out exactly what's going on because it didn't really shift that much during the pandemic which they thought it would because of people being at home and they assume people would be reading more but actually as things have opened up now book sales and maybe it's because people are traveling again but um book sales have gone up 20 um in i think the last quarter which is just an incredible amount so it's an interesting time to to put a book out in the world, that's for sure. I
6: I think people are probably they've probably seen everything on Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're looking for new stories. Um have you yes. been have you been writing a lot in, in 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 quarantine has that given you a little more time to work on the next book?
4: Yeah, somewhat. It's I used to write at a coffee shop every day and that was kind of my place I would you know get out of the house and plug into my my zone and that's when the muse would arrive and that was my routine and so then switching to writing inside my house and the, the laundry dings and the dishwasher is done it's hard to ignore some of those it's hard to separate um so in some ways i'm getting more done but in some ways i would say i'm not it's, it's a balance and i'm sure a lot of other people can relate to, to moving their work home
6: are you still working as a social worker
4: I I put that on pause um, since writing the book and having the baby. I would love to get back into being a therapist someday. Um, I'm also, I'm in my 30s and I I think life, I can still learn some more life lessons and I hope to get back into therapy with some of those lessons being learned and, and getting back into practice once, once I'm a little farther down the road.
6: Well, I, I was gonna ask how you managed to do all of those things at the same time and it, Sounds like you were smart enough to carve out a piece of it to make more sense of quarantine and writing and parenting and all all of those things that you have going on um have you got the i mean you're you're already working on your next book have you got the bug? Do you think there are gonna be books beyond Dovetails of a River, which is the next? Book.
4: Yeah, I, I do. I I have to see where this writing journey takes me, but I, I I do think there are quite a few more ideas kind of sparkling up in my mind, and it's just one of those things. Like once they hit, you just can't shake them, and they start to just whisper at me all the time. Um, so, so I think I'll have to give them some room as we go.
6: Well, it's it's fascinating. Um, you said you've done some, some Zoom events with bookstores. Is, is that kind of a fun thing, interacting with people who are interested in your writing? Or like some writers, it's kind of an introspective, uh, solitary pursuit. Um, do you enjoy that, that, the interaction?
4: I do. I'm definitely an introverted person. Um, and so writing and just being in my writing world and bubble and in my mind and telling the story and weaving in the history, that was that just a wonderful experience professionally. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. I felt kind of nervous, honestly, like talking to readers or even doing interviews like this. But every time I've interacted with someone or gotten feedback or, or had someone write into me or to stop and chat with me, it's, it's beyond positive and it's so incredible and it's really neat to hear what parts of the story resonate with different people because it's been all different things and sometimes I'm like, is everyone reading the same book? Because one person will say (laughs) like the sister storyline stood out or one person will say the father. Oh, one person will talk about the military trials and how, and so it's just very interesting to hear what different parts resonate with different people and overall it's just hearing people talk about the U.S. Dakota War and what events happened and, and how much they learned, that's been the most most positive and really inspiring thing to me as a writer and and encouraging and i've lived so alone in my brain for a long time with this that it's it's really neat to connect with others
6: yeah i would think that that might be uh kind of an interesting process and and inform your writing um are there are there writers that you especially like that have maybe influenced your your writing
4: in some way Oh, gosh, there are so many excellent writers, and each time I read a book, I am just in awe of everyone else, which makes me want to erase my game, that's for sure. I I love Steinbeck and East of Eden, and um, there are some Dakota writers that were really helpful as far as, like, how they depicted certain things that that influenced my writing, for sure, like Ella Cara Deloria, she was great, and then, honestly, I just love a a book that makes me want to turn the page. Like, when I get to the end of a chapter and you have that, or like, you want to keep reading, I love that. And that's the whole feeling I hope to get on the page for my readers as well.
6: Is there someone out there when you're writing that you imagine that you're talking to?
4: Sometimes, yeah, I... The one person I've thought of is a former patient that I used to work with. Um, and she was a high school senior and her mother passed away and her dad was going through some really hard things and she was so quiet and would just always take a book with her through the school day um, as her way of kind of keeping her company. Um, and I always think about that student and I'm like, what story do I want her to dive into and find meaning and find connection with and, Obviously, I want to make the action compelling, but I want those emotions to be on the page as well and and deep feelings um, that are complex that I know someone like her could connect with. So I've thought about writing for like the broad audience or what's going to sell or what's the big story or what could the next big story be, but I think I'm most effective when I'm writing for like that one person or my one former patient that I'm just like, what would she need? What would she be drawn to? And I think if I do that well, I think it will hopefully connect with with more
6: people. Well, and that kind of ties into uh, another question I was thinking of, and that is, what are you hoping that people get out of your writing? Is it, you know, is it the history? Is it the uh, the the emotion? Or is there, is there a moral to the story?
4: Yeah, I think all those things. I think if I did my job well, Obviously, the history should come through, and people should feel like they learned something and I think for most readers they'll they'll have that inspiring emotional wave that comes with following these protagonists and how they stayed true to their heart and themselves through really difficult circumstances and then ultimately, I think my my greatest hope for a reader would be I, I know we've all been living through um, some turbulent times between the pandemic and some of the social unrest and I obviously don't have any answer to any big questions. But for me, sometimes I feel like when you zoom in on certain events and certain things or certain people, and when you zoom out on certain things or certain events and certain people, you get different perspectives and just different takeaways and have compassion for yourself, for others. And so I think this story, I really hope that I zoomed in and I zoomed out and that a reader will feel um, compelled by both of those lenses.
6: Well, Samantha, it's been really fun talking with you. Thank you for spending this time with me this morning. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, now past, present, and future. Do you have a website?
4: I do. It is my name, Samantha Specks, S-P-E-C-K-S dot com. And I'm on Instagram or Facebook, so follow me there. It's my name. Um, and then my book is on Amazon and all major booksellers. And I think in Michigan, I'm at Snowbound Books. They've reached out and coordinated and been just lovely. But I'm pretty sure they're in the UP. Um, so I don't know if that's a close drive for anyone in your in your listening network. But I would love to connect, so, so please find me.
6: All right. Well, Samantha, again, thank you and keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Great. Bye-bye. Again, that was um, author Samantha Specks. Her debut novel, Dovetails in Tall, Tall Grass, comes out tomorrow. She's a licensed independent uh, clinical social worker. But the book is based on uh, history from the area she grew up in, in Minnesota. And... Um, Inspired by the true story of the 38 Dakota Sioux men hanged in Minnesota in 1862. And that was the largest, that is the largest mass execution in U.S. history. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Hey, (laughs) this
2: is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now.
3: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse.
2: It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at com.
7: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Now, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Newhart. Please.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you very much. Uh, many of you may have read The Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising. And one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them and you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today and there was no Lincoln. Now the advertising people realizing this, would have had to create a Lincoln, and I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi Abe, sweetheart, how are you, (laughs) Uh, uh, How's how's Gettysburg? (laughs) Sort of a drag, huh? (laughs) Well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> hey, you seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got the note. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? <laughs> you, you left it in Washington. Uh, uh, what are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan. <coughs> Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the with the uh, string tie and the beard? <coughs> Abe, would would you leave the beard on and get the shawl, huh?
3: All
1: right. What, now, what's this about Grant? You're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? <laughs> Uh, Abe, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I don't see the problem. I mean, you, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. your you're, you're, ga- you're gag writers. Yeah, you're gag writers. Here. You, you want to come back with something funny, yeah? Maybe an anecdote about a town drunk. Well, I can't promise anything, Abe. I, I, I'll get him working on it. Right, uh, Abe, you got the speech. Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? <laughs> a, couple, a couple minor changes, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. All right, all right, what are they? You what? You, you typed it.
3: <laughs>
1: Abe, uh, how many times have we told you on the backs of envelopes? I, I understand it's harder to read that way, Abe, but it, it looks like you wrote it on the train coming down or something like that. <laughs> Abe, could you do this? Could you memorize it, and then put it on the backs of the envelopes? <laughs> You're getting a lot of play in the press on that. How are the envelopes holding <laughs> out? You could stand another box. All right, I'll... I'll, I'll send them All right, what, what else, Abe? You
2: changed
1: you change four score and seven to... to eighty-seven? <laughs> I, I understand you mean the same thing. Eight. Well, Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. <laughs> uh, Abe, uh, we test marketed that in an Erie, and they went out of their minds about it. So, so, well, Abe, it, it's sort of it, it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, "Friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you." <laughs> you
3: see,
1: this is what I mean, Abe. It, uh, uh, what 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 else? People will little note nor long remember. Abe, hey, what could possibly be wrong with that? Oh. They'll remember it. Hey. Abe, hey, they'll remember it. It's the old humble bit. You can't say it's a great speech. I think everybody's going to remember it. Abe,
2: eh?
1: you come off a braggart don't you see that? Abe, hey, hey, do the speech the way Charlie wrote it, would you? the inaugural address swung, didn't it <laughs> all, all right an, 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 any, anything else y- you talk to some newspaper men uh, abe i wish you wouldn't talk to newspaper men <laughs> well you always put your foot in you? <laughs> no that's just what i mean abe no 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 you're a rail splitter then an attorney <laughs> Abe, it doesn't make any sense that way. I mean, you wouldn't give up your law practice to become a rail spinner, would you? Would you read the biog, Abe? You'll see a lot of trouble on this end. Uh, Abe, Abe, listen, before I forget, um, um, the manufacturer is is coming out with the Abe Lincoln t shirt uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Could could you work that into the address somewhere,
2: Abe?
1: Uh, Play it by ear, whatever you can do. Uh, Abe, you, have you got a pencil and paper there? Would you take this down? You can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, you keep doing it differently, But <laughs> <got> <laughs> the, the last quote I got was, you can fool all the people all the time. And you, uh, <laughs> uh, Abe, Abe, Hold on, hold on. Uh, they come up with a thing on Grant. Oh, right, right. Good, good. But, yeah, all beautiful. Hey, listen to this. It's, they got a beautiful squelch on Grant. Right. The next time they bug you about Grant's drinking, right? you tell them you're going to find out what brand he drinks, and send a case of it to all your other generals. Right. Uh, no, no. It's it's uh, like like the brand uh, was the reason he won.
3: <laughs>
1: no, 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 no. Eh. Uh, uh, Abe, uh, use it. It's fine. <laughs> trust me, Mister. Uh, uh, Sat- Saturday night. Oh, Abe, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in New York Saturday night. Uh, a bridge party at the White House. Oh, Abe, I'd, I'd love to make it. Uh, how about Seward? You try him. <laughs> he, he'll be out of town too, huh? Oh, that's that's a, be, you you and you and what's your name? Be home alone. Mary, be home alone. <laughs> Listen, Abe, uh, why don't you take in a play? (laughs) I'll I'll be talking to
3: you. This was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
6: for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program, and uh, boy, I'm always amazed at how fast the time goes by, but when you have uh, great people to talk to, and I hope you enjoy the conversations with our guests today, including Samantha Spex, author of a debut novel that comes out tomorrow called Dovetails in Tall Grass, inspired by the true story of the 38 Dakota Sioux men hanged in Minnesota in 1862 the largest mass execution in U.S. history. And before that, talking about uh, wealth building for beginners with financial education and holistic wellness coach Edward R. Williams. And uh, we started out this morning with uh, an interesting conversation with uh, Ken Zabera about the uh, infrastructure bill and and the fact that parts of it will promote clean energy and we talked about jobs and uh, solar energy with Ken he's been on the show before it's always good to have him back and talk to him and that's a technology that continues to uh, to evolve and, and come down in cost and anyway fun interesting uh, conversations Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. That's Smoke and George Winters tickling the iries. Let me know. It's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another great uh, bunch of people to talk with. I hope you will be, too. Good night, everybody. The Tom
0: Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show